This is CliffCentral.com. Hello there. Welcome to the Opinion Booth with myself, Sonia Booth, and today's title, The Makings of a Bestseller. My guest today, who just arrived, just landed from Cape Town, and she came straight from the airport to come and see me. I am so <laughs> honored to have you in the studio, Melinda Ferguson. Oh, what a welcome. Yes, I raced. I literally raced in a very slow rental um, to get here, and I made it like three minutes before 12. I am so happy. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually bl- blushing, you know, the fact that you, you made such an effort for me. I feel very special indeed and very honored. Oh, well. Now, for those of you who've been living under a rock and don't know who or what Melinda Ferguson stands for, I mean, she's an award-winning author. She's a publisher, writing coach, columnist, inspirational speaker, and recovery coach. How do you handle all those titles? I mean, how do you manage well, you have actually forgotten the car journalist as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's a big one. How do I manage all these titles? I sometimes think that because I'm so ADD <laughs> in like the best sense of the word, I think if, if I had to do one thing, I just get bored very quickly. So I give lots of energy to a whole lot of different stuff and I never seem to get tired. I just get um, re-energized. So I've got this... Weird. Um, I don't know if it's a, it's a, it's an issue or whether it's a, a, a blessing because I like to rather see it as a blessing that all these little pots that I'm keeping boiling all add to like more and more and more energy. So I mean, are you, are you a Scorpio by any chance? Because you you describing me actually, and I'm a Scorpio. I'm a Leo. Uh-huh. A lion, a lioness. And lionesses love working for their, well, for their men in the bush, but, um, for, for people in general. <laughs> I love that description. Yeah, the men in the bush. Um, but I, I think I'm a typical Leo. So I, I work hard. I love attention. Um, everything I do is about kind of showing the world and I love affirmation. So I think everything, all of these things you've listed, they've all got a level of affirmation, and I guess I get off on that. I love that. So I came across your Facebook post a while ago mm-hmm. in which you describe mm-hmm. your horror movie-type experience or encounter at Danger Beach below oh. St. James in Falls Bay. Surely the name of the beach was mm-hmm. warning enough? I thought it sounded very enticing. You see, that's also one of my issues in life is that danger has never been what most people assume it to be. For me, danger's always been where? Where do I, where, which door do I knock on? Danger. That sounds exciting. And of course, I mean, you, you, you know, I am probably for me, my biggest kind of identity is as a recovering addict. And um, a lot of my work is around addiction, and a lot of my books have been written about addiction, and that is probably part of the, the my character that got me to try things like heroin and crack and go and explore things that most people wouldn't um, do. So Danger Beach for me on the Sunday that I went seemed like a great invitation. I mean, would you like to share your story? Because, I mean, people are curious as to why I'm referring to the story. Well, you know, so I'd gone out with my boyfriend and our two, well, my newly adopted two children. And it was a beautiful day. And the water, uncharacteristically for Cape Town, was warm-ish, warm-ish, in St. James, Danger Danger Beach. And um, it, the, the the water really looked pretty level. And we, all three of us, my, my boyfriend, my, my daughter, and I decided to go in. 
But once we'd gone in a little bit, there were rip curls, there were rip currents, there were there was a whole lot of stuff happening in the ocean that you couldn't see on the on the surface. And the next thing, we were all pulled really deep into the sea, and none of us could get out. I went under. The waves kept pulling, pulling us under. The currents were very, very strong. I lost sight of everyone. I actually thought I was going to die. I thought this is how I'm going to die in the middle of no, like in the middle of an ocean where no one will even see me waving. And fortunately, I started allowing myself to kind of go with the flow, and I found myself back on the beach. Um, Lily and Matt were also sort of next to me spewing water, and we were all crying, actually. I mean, we all cried and hugged each other and said kind of that was the closest we had ever got to dying. So it was, it was a, it what started off as a kind of a, an adventure became like an, an, an almost a disaster. And I don't think I'll ever swim at Danger Beach again. No, no. I wouldn't swim at a beach called Danger, Danger Beach. beach. I mean, because cause you know the yeah. recurrents are, I mean, that, that's, that's the death of you. Yeah, really. really. And there are a lot of people. I mean, I found out subsequently, I don't know the exact number, but many people had drowned in the last year at that beach. So it's something I should definitely have investigated before I ran into the ocean. I know, I know. So the, the latest national reading survey mm. conducted in 2016 found that a mere 14% of South African adults considered themselves, inverted commas, committed readers. 58% of households did not contain a single book to read for pleasure. Are you surprised, perplexed, flabbergasted, or all of the above? I'm all of the above. And um, for me, it's, it's as a publisher, never mind an author, those stats are really depressing. So you can imagine how difficult it is actually to sell books in South Africa today. I mean, I'm sure you've heard what, do you know what a best, I'm sure you do know, but what a bestseller in South Africa is. 8,000 copies or 15? A lot of people um, say 15, 50, 100, you know, or some people even say a million because that sounds like J.K. Rowling kind of stakes. Yes. 3,000 books. 3,000 is considered a bestseller. For a population of 54 million. Yeah. The mess doesn't add up. Yeah, it doesn't add up. It completely doesn't add up. So we are working with the tiniest of numbers. My, I believe that cell phones, the Internet, um, call time, electrical bills, electricity bills, um, food bills, all these like kind of necessities or diversions – um, have really pulled people away from reading. You know, it's quite a commitment, A, to buy a book with money that you might not really have, and books are not cheap, and then B, to actually sit down and in this very distracted world we live in, to start reading page one and sit there and let yourself get lost in pages and words. So I think... We are, as publishers, dealing with a lot of distraction and a lot of competition. So why do you think I've become a publisher? I mean, it sounds like it's one of the most insane careers to get into. I just think that people, I, I, I'm, I'm always looking at the positive side. So I'm looking for those 14% to make them 20%. The 14% that you've mentioned, I've gone, ooh, I need to get to those people. Um, the 50, the 42%, cause you said 58, hey, yes. who don't have any books for pleasure. Yes. 
I need to get those 42% who do, and I want to get some of those 58 who don't. So I see everything as a bit of a challenge. And I don't, I like stats for, for, for kind of to get you a kind of a picture, but I don't like getting depressed by stats because then what's the whole point? Don't you, I mean, don't you find, I'm, I'm sure it's not the first time you hear someone commenting that books are expensive. I mean, I understand that authors need to make money. I understand that publishers need to make money because after all, you're not running an NPO. But when you look at a well-read, I'll use that word for lack of a better word, India has an incredible culture of reading. But in India, you're able to pick a book for less than five rands. Mm. So when do you think South Africa is ever going to get to that point where I'm able to get at least 20 books with 200 rands? You know what? I don't think so. Um, I'm going to try and explain very simply how the money works on a book. Say there's a book for 200 rand. As a publisher, I get an, uh, an established bookseller, like an EB or a CNA, or whatever, to, to get to take the book. They immediately want a 50% discount. So now we've got 100 rand. They are not buying the book. They are taking it on consignment. So if they don't sell the book, they're going to give it back to the publisher. So there's already this uncertainty now. The books that I'm going to now print, I have a buyer, but they're not really a buyer, as in the books, the books, the bookstores. Now we've got a hundred rand. Then, <clears throat> say I pay the author ten percent royalties, which sounds like very little. The author gets ten rand. The book will then cost with printing, marketing, cover, editing, distribution, design, launches, all that. Say another fifty to sixty rand. Now we've got. 60, say another 10 for the or 70. So now there's 30 rand maybe, if you're lucky, left for the publisher. Like no one is making money. The author's making 10 rand on a book that costs 200. So can you see why the books have to be 200 rand or else you'll be making like two rand? That is why they are expensive. And it's because the model has been created not to serve the publisher or the bookseller or the book or the, or the author. It's kind of there to protect the bookseller. Okay. So, and I will probably get into trouble for this. So, I mean, you know, so how I, how are we expecting to change the culture of reading and to make reading cool? One of the things they do in India is to sell books on the corners of streets and to stand um, as vendors on sidewalks and in the middle of roads, you know, with piles of books. Books seem to be everywhere, and that's why they're so cheap. So I think if books start getting out of the traditional bookseller kind of uh, uh, system and going to spaza shops, and so you'll go and buy your – your uh, Coke and bread, and there's a book there. If they, if 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 the bookseller is not trying to take a hundred percent, fifty percent of of the profits, and becoming a little less greedy in a way, everyone would be able to make a little bit more money, and the book would be able to be cheaper. Hmm. I'm I'm hoping that we get to that point. Yeah. So I think it it seems like books are so expensive, but when you look at the sums here, they actually have to be that price, or else there's going to be absolutely zero profits. 
And I'm sure the, the I mean, the government can also get involved in uh, somehow subsidizing. If, if we are going to improve these statistics, surely they, they, they have um, a duty. Mm. To come on board, whether mm. with publishers or mm. with writers, with authors. Oh, it would be amazing. I mean, I think that's where it really, where it could really make a big difference. If there was a subsidy, if, if corporates wanted to rather sponsor books rather than sport, you know, because sport seems to find sponsors for everything, but why aren't books finding that kind of corporate sponsorship? That would be amazing. I love that challenge. Yeah. So all, all the corporates that are listening right yeah. now, that that's that's a great challenge right there. And I must say, I, I would support something like you that. You would. Come, because let's make you the brand ambassador for books and corporates. I've I've noted my I've name down. I've just crowned already. you, Sonia Booth. I, I love that. I love yeah. that. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> so now you loathe self help books. Tell me why. You know, it's weird because I don't know if I loathe them. Have I said that? You you were quoted you were quoted somewhere to say why are you trying to help me and not trying to help yourself? Yes, um, I have actually published some self help books, so it's weird that you say when well, I love them. <laughs> I've I've published um like Kahisa Missy Mango. I don't know if you've ever had I'm, her on the I'm, show. I'm, I know, I know the her. goddess boot camp woman. She, she's amazing. She is amazing. Now, Kahisa is one of my favorite authors that I've published because she's the most, she's a Virgo. She's the most, um, deadline driven woman I've ever seen. If I say to her, your book is due, um, on the 4th of November, she'll have it at 8 a.m. on the 4th of November in my inbox. You know, she's, Word perfect, no typos, nothing wrong. She's a really amazing author. And she's she's like the epitome of the kind of self-help book that I really love, an empowering, individual, unique, um, powerful woman who's not just reciting jargon and kind of pseudoscience, which I think a lot of self-help books. So those kind of self-help books I don't like. But ones that really empower people, I've got a lot of time for. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you cleared. And you air. know, and the thing is about me, I'm someone who can change my mind. So I can tell you today, I hate hippies. <laughs> and tomorrow I'll be wearing like some flowers in my hair. So I, I, it, it's quite a confusing thing to be around me because one thing I've learned in life is you can change your mind. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you liked self-help books yesterday and you don't like them today, it's also okay. You're right. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. So now tell me, what are the makings of a bestseller? Because you qualify to answer that question. I mean, you working on how many books just this year alone? Uh, this year I've published, I'm about to publish my eighth. And we're still in September. We're in September. I've got one more. And then I am probably going to be finishing the year off because that's March next year with one more. So I'll have, I probably will have published 10 this year, which is a lot. And I've co-written one of them with Lindiwe Hani, the being Chris Hani's daughter. Yes. Now, that's a good book to mention because that one has been a bestseller. Um, so I like – because, you see, it's very hard to say I look for this, 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 and this because you don't always know. It's a feeling. It's a sense. It's a title. It's a mood of the nation. It's a an idea that this could maybe catch fire. So, So I think publishing is like gambling. You don't actually know if that horse is going to win. But you look around and you think of the one that, that is most likely to win and you start putting your money on it. And that's a lot like books. So I liked – there's a story I once heard. This A, a publisher uh, that I read about said when he opens the door at the end of the day, 
the feeling that he gets when his dog comes running down the passage, completely excited and happy to see him, yapping and kind of drooling and looking all happy. That's the kind of feeling he likes to get when he reads a book that he wants to publish. And I love that idea. So when I get a few cold shivers, when my whole brain starts tingling, when I start going, I think people are going to want to read this because it's that 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 needs to make a bestseller. I need to believe that enough people are not just going to buy 3,000. I want them to buy 10,000 or more. Um, so, so, so the book, Being Chris Harney's Daughter, that for me ticked all the boxes. There was a, um, the daughter of our great struggle leader, Chris Harney, who had been in the, uh, in, in deep and dark addiction, another one of my tick boxes, cause I love books on addiction. Um, she had a father who already had a name, Harney on the cover, I knew would bring in a audience. And then she had an amazingly authentic, dark, struggling kind of journey to find her own identity. And I'm really drawn to more, towards memoir. So being Chris Harney's daughter for me was actually like before I even um, signed the contract, I knew that this could be a bestseller and it has been. So, so it was politically interesting. It was personally very transforming and it had a fantastic girl, Lindy Wehani, who is fa fabulous to talk at, at media uh, conferences and at, at corporate events. She's very good at speaking. She's very good at telling her story. So I had an author who I could also bank on who was going to be able to, pipe, to, to market her own book. So that's a big thing as well. Um, having an author who I can really see is going to be able to take that book and be able to market and, and represent it in the media. Because I think the days of kind of shy, scared, little nerdy authors sitting in the background not wanting to talk, they're kind of over. You have to have someone who's going to be able to market their own book as well. All right. Okay. So I hope people listening in are taking notes because I know a lot of people in, in your mind as you writing a story, because everybody has a story, right? We've all mm. uh, been through experiences, some harrowing, some hilarious, um, and some uh, would have been stories that are so funny or experiences that you want to share with people. But at times you don't even know how to put pen to paper because you don't even know how to put it together. You don't know where mm. to start. Sometimes you're staring at a paper or at the laptop and you don't even know how to construct the very first sentence, even though you know exactly how you want to relate that story to the reader. So I'm sure you get a lot of people who ask you for pointers. Um, to say, you know, I've, I've got this amazing story or you um, read a story, whether on a Facebook uh, post um, or online where somebody says, you know what, this is what I went through. But now I don't even know how to go about putting that story together in order for me to submit it to Melissa, hoping for her to publish mm. this. So I'm hoping the the information that you've shared right now would enable people or, or help them. Um, in recognizing that it's it's never personal, when when somebody submits a, a manuscript and that you've you've got the detail and you experienced um, enough and you have the expertise to know, or if you get a feeling that I think this is going to be a bestseller. So I hope people were taking notes. 
So how do you respond to a writer if a manuscript is not worthy to be published? Do you give pointers, feedback and advice or do you pretend you never received it in the first place? No, I never do that. I mean, that's probably the worst thing because you see, because I'm an author as well. I am very sensitive to the fact that it takes a lot for someone to put down a whole lot of their, their stuff, their book, their idea, their chapter, and actually have the courage to push send. I know how hard that is. So I've always got a lot of empathy and, and, and appreciation and gratitude, actually, that someone's taken that time. Whether I can actually go and say, but yeah, I'm going to sign a deal with you is a whole different story. And usually what I, if it doesn't fit in my imprint, MF Books, Joe Book, I am very, I'm very clear about what I want. I want memoir. I don't just want a journal. I don't want, I don't just, I can't just publish anyone's story that's kind of okay and interesting, but is more like a journal. So I'm looking for specific stories that have got, um, an ability to kind of shift and transform the reader and the writer. I'm, I'm big into transformation, but like personal transformation, where you write, you explore yourself, and you come out on the other side, and you come out wiser, and then the reader comes out wiser. And usually people who have struggled with personal demons, with personal circumstances, who've got kind of wisdom from their life experience are books that I'm more attracted to. But more than anything, I'm looking for brilliant writing. So <laughs> I've had quite a few books submitted to me that the stories were great, but the writing was really not that good. Then I say to people, listen, your writing isn't up to standard. I mean, I don't want to lie to people. I can't say, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, just <laughs> keep going, not. but I don't want it. <laughs> no. So what I often do, I also do, to do writing workshops now. So I do in, I write writing workshops every month in Cape Town and I do four a year in Joburg. And so sometimes, if I think they've got enough talent, I, I suggest that they might want to come to a writing workshop where I can try and help them uncover their real writing style, their authentic voice. Because I think that a lot of people write, um, in the way that they would like other people to see them. You know what I'm saying? So they write, Knowing that my mother's going to be reading this, my boyfriend's going to be reading this, I can't let them know about that part of me. I'm going to write to make myself look better. Mm -hmm. I hate that kind of writing. I really don't like it. Um, there are lots of books published like that, but I'm bored immediately. In the first page, if someone isn't being authentic and not being honest, I immediately, my, my BS detectors, I'm not going to swear. <laughs> I'm really trying not to swear. My BS detectors go, I'm not believing this. I don't want to read this. I want to turn over the page. I don't want to finish the page. It doesn't grip me. So I don't think that people are, are incapable of getting that voice. I think sometimes they need to be pushed or they need to be uncovered. And that's what I do in my writing workshops. My writing workshops are quite brutal in a way. They, they don't mess around. If people are writing shopping lists, lies, egotistical stuff, I nab them straight up and we start working from a, a, a place of honesty. There's always a lot of crying in my workshops. 
Yes. We, if people don't cry, I feel like I failed. So there's always lots of tissues, but it's very joyful tears in the end. People cry because they start touching their wounds. People cry because they start touching their souls and people cry because they start t- touching their truths. And they don't cry because I, I am criticizing them because I do it very lovingly. But when you've got a group of, say, 14 people who are all becoming vulnerable together, an amazing energy starts happening. So what's happened in the last year is I've started being able to fish for some of my books in the writing workshops because I, I, I start being able to actually, it's almost like a talent scout. I, I become the talent scout and I can see, okay, that person, she's got potential. And then it's all about, because you, you brought up an interesting thing just now. It's like, how do you start? And I, 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 I have a, a really very easy way to deal with that. I say to people, just start. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter if you start on the last page of the book. If you started the, I was born in Ermelo in whatever year. It doesn't matter where you start because you're never going to leave the book as you started it. As long as you start somewhere, the worst day of your life, the worst, you know, what happened to you, that trauma or the beautiful memory you have of something, as long as you start putting words on the page, you've started. But it's the stewing in your head where words won't get born, where they sit there and they torment you. And they don't get translated to the page or to your iPad, your computer. That's when I think the whole idea of like writer's block, where people sit there kind of frozen and they keep going, I need to write, I need to write, and they just can't. You're just nodding a lot. Like you seem to know what I'm talking about. I I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've, I've been through that. And yeah. um, I, I was going to you know, make a suggestion to anybody that's going to be going to your workshops not to wear eyeliner and not to wear any Do any, not wear any, any makeup because, because it's, it's a waste of time. <clears throat> I often have like the panda bear look. Yes. The people all have <laughs> panda bear looks at the end. One workshop, I mean, there were 14 women. And they were all incredibly wounded. I don't know what happened. That day, it seemed like there was a weekend. And it seemed like women had congregated for some kind of bigger reason. I always think it wasn't a coincidence. They all had very hectic wounds, like rape, abuse. Um, they were just such hard, hard, hard issues to kind of work with. And I promise you, that workshop was more sobbing and crying. But... This group of women have formed another group and they now have become a support to each other and they meet every week and they write together and they become a writing group. So amazing things happen when people take the plunge. I always say to people, you must open the door that looks like the hardest one to open. The door that says, do not come in. That's the door you must open. It's the same part of me that wants to go to Danger Beach. You see. I, I, I can yeah, make yeah. the connection now. Yeah, you can see. <laughs> go to the room that says no entry. But I'm still not swimming at Danger Beach. No, you don't have to sure. swim, but you should come to my writing workshop. I will. I will. I would Definitely. love to see you there. Um, I, I was going to be talking more about your writing workshops actually towards the end of I've the show. I've preempted you, so, so we'll carry on then. So no, we'll, 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 we'll add on to that mm. um, because there's, there's, there's more information that I know um, the listeners are going to be interested in. So now… Some publishers request authors to submit the first three chapters mm. of um, their manuscripts. 
How do you tease or entice the reader without giving too much away? After all, you want them to finish uh, the entire book. So, so you obviously are able to get an indication of whether the book is good enough to consider publishing or not if you're only submitting three chapters? Honestly, I can tell by the first paragraph where, whether I'm interested. First paragraph. First paragraph, honey. Wow. I can tell by the first paragraph if I'm, if I'm wanting to read more. Um, sometimes I have to read a whole chapter and I'm about to go, mm, I don't like this. And then I start reading the second chapter and it starts pulling me in. But immediately I'll be thinking, your first chapter's not working. It didn't keep me engaged. I'm all about that first page of the book for me is the most important page. It's the page that people open in bookstores. It's the page that people will rifle through while they're sitting at exclusive books and they'll be going, should I buy this book or not? If you can get them going in those first few paragraphs, you've got people hooked. Then they're going to want to. So the, so you said something quite interesting. You said, how do I not give too much away? That's exactly, I would advise people to do the exact opposite. Give everything away. Don't hold back. You've only got one chance to get people interested. You, if you can get them engaged in the first page, I mean, in my book, Smacked, I start with a gang rape, a gun in my mouth, and, a, and, and being completely um, high on crack. That was the lowest point of my life um, in this little dingy flat in Hillbrow when I was a complete crack and heroin addict. Um, and I chose to open my book like that because I promise you, once people read that first page, they were not going to put that book down. Absolutely. So I could have thought, ooh, I don't want to give like the, 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 the rock bottom away too quickly. But by the, t if I'd started with, I was born in, um, last century. <laughs> I was born in the last century to a mother and a father and we lived in a house and that people would have gone like, okay, whatever. This is just sounds like normal. Good point. So your book needs to, you need to bring your gold up front. That's what I say. You need to actually pull the most, like it's as though you're opening the move, you know, opening the biggest movie of your life and you're wanting to really get that audience in there. That's the, that's the one chance you have. And I can promise you, we get submissions, like hundreds of submissions. If that first page is not gripping, I, those submissions get put to the side. I don't even think people read all three chapters. So my biggest probably gem that I can give people is to work on that first chapter. Make that first chapter the one that you're not going to be wanting to put down. So the first chapter you would say would be a trailer of a movie. Yeah. That entices you yeah. to go and watch that yeah. movie. That's the first paragraph or the first page. And then you can go back in your first, in your second chapter to I was born in um, the middle of nowhere in a desert, wherever. Then people are going, I want to know more about you because something so, so terrible has happened or something so profound or something so hectic. Let me find out where, who you are. I've already engaged you. I've always approached writing, even when I was writing for True Love magazine all my articles, I always used to start with a very sensational or very hard-hitting opening paragraph, and then I would have the reader. So that's a trick. 
It's a trick, but it's one that really works. And no wonder you've got so many bestsellers yeah. under your belt. Because I know how to get the people chewing their popcorn. Love that. <laughs> Love yeah. that. So some people are of the belief that an autobiography can only be written by the author herself or himself mm. or someone that has had similar experiences. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I like co-wrote uh, being Chris Harney's daughter with Lindiwe. I was not the daughter of Chris Harney. I did not have my father assassinated. I did have a, a similar um, addiction experience to Lindiwe. But that's what imagination is for. That's, I, you know, if Stephen King had to have murdered for every time that he wrote about murder, he would, <laughs> you know, he would be in prison. So that whole idea of like you can only write what you know is not actually totally true. You can write by experiencing other people, by looking, by listening, by experiencing life, by observing. You don't have to go and murder someone in order to write a book about murder. Just like I didn't have to be Chris Harney's daughter in order to be able to go into Lindy Ware's world and help her write this book. Um, you know, so I think that imagination is huge and it's, it's, it's our biggest, it's our biggest blessing as human beings, creativity and, and imagination. It's the one thing that you can't really put a figure, a number on. You can't really control it. It's not something like an accountant does or a maths professor does or a surgeon does. Writing and creating is something so ethereal and so blessed by the gods that it's, um, for me, it's the most fascinating thing of how people actually manage to put a whole book together just from an idea and a thought and how one word leads to another. So what you're then saying is that um, myself, for example, if I w were ever to write an autobiography, being a township girl from the dusty streets of mm. Soweto, you're saying to me you don't have to have lived in the dusty streets of Soweto for you to sympathize or to have empathy with the challenges or the adversity that I, that I experienced. That, that's what you're saying. Yeah. As a reader or as a, you know, if you were going to write it, I completely would get into your experience as a reader whether i could write your story for you who knows you know it, 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 it would always be best if the person who the stories happen to writes it themselves yes. i think okay yeah okay i like that i'm here to finish Long walk to freedom. <laughs> Me too. And, and I, it's not something I'm proud of. I'm not, I'm not proud to, to share that information. It is massive. Mm. And the big English words are intimidating. Can we not have easy to read books? I mean, I get it that reading improves your vocabulary. However, it takes away from the flow mm. if you open your dictionary at every sentence. Mm. I Especially couldn't agree more. When you're lying more. in bed, when you're lying in bed, and then I have to have my dictionary and probably a thesaurus right next to it, and having to look for a word in the middle of a sentence. Personally, I mm. find that off-putting. Me too. I haven't finished that book either. Um, I've got many books on my bookshelf, bookshelves. I've got many bookshelves that I, I haven't been able to get past the first chapter, and I probably would never have published those books because I would have gone, "These are boring." I think if you're trying to catch the reader out with being clever or you're trying to act, you know, too clever, I, I, I think it kind of defies the point. 
And I think with so many people, we're wanting to entice people to read. Let's try not to actually confuse the matter, right? And you don't have to down, dumb it down. You know, that's the other thing is people think, oh, well, if I can't use these words, I'm going to have to dumb it down. My entire first book, Smacked, was was written in a very attainable way. I swore a lot in it. I never used any huge words. And I had, like, kids of 14 saying, ma'am, it's the only book I've ever finished. They loved reading it because it didn't confuse them. So I'm all about being, don't go and, and try and confuse the reader with all these words. And don't, if you if you want to have all these words and you want people to look at dictionaries, then a very sort of select section of the of the population are going to read those books which defeats the purpose yeah. and hence you you get you know one of the reasons why you we getting these statistics that mm. we're getting about reading culture is that it's very alienating for people to pick up a book and then not understand what's going on especially when i'm in Guahamstad and i've yeah. actually never seen a dictionary in my life because we all yeah. know that most schools are so ill-equipped yeah. most libraries are so ill-equipped that some kids out there in the rural areas somewhere out there who have who don't even know what a mm. dictionary is used so then you you're not attracting me mm. as a reader uh, as as a potential reader in and it's instance. hard, in, yeah, as you say, it's hard enough to get people to even read. So why exactly. confuse them? Exactly. Have you ever bought a book so bad you returned it to the store for an exchange or refund? <laughs> Gosh, I actually thought, oh, no, I shouldn't say it. I was about <laughs> to, but I'm like, I'm Remember so close. Remember the Slip Central yes. Uncensored? Oh, yes. Mm. Well, you know, I never bought the Bonang book. Okay. I never bought it. And also as a, as, and I used to be a book editor. So I used to get a lot of free books. I have bought books in the last few years, but not a lot, but I have received books. I mean, 50 shades of gray for me, that whole trilogy, I got given all of them. I could barely, I mean, I tried, I forced myself to try and read 50 shades of gray. I was so bored after about two chapters, I put it down and it's, it looks brand new in my house. It's got no, Pages turned or anything. Ouch. It's just br- brand new. I don't know why I've even got it still. Um, yeah. So I've had quite a lot of books where I don't know if I would have returned them, but I, but, but, but just having them and not actually picking them up to read them again is as good as returning them. At least you read two chapters of Fifty Shades. I mean, did you I, not bought, read? I bought it and oh, I you? read the first page. Did you also hate I, it? I, 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 I was tempted to return it. Mm. The only thing that stopped me from returning it was was that the petrol to return to return it, it would be more would cost me more. So that's why it's still sitting in my in my bookshelf. But it was a waste of my hard earned cash. But let's actually talk about that book because that's a book. That it's very depressing when you look at how many copies that book sold and you look at brilliant books, some of the brilliant books that aren't even selling a thousand copies in South Africa. I've, I've seen authors sell 800 copies of absolute brilliance. And then I don't even know the numbers for 50 shades. I'm sure every day it gets more and more, but it's millions and millions and millions of the, of that book. And I've been very interested to try and understand why. Why did people take to that book? And it still confuses me. But I think that there was something about that cover. Like covers are really important as well. You're right. That cover was very seductive in that it wasn't like screaming a sex book. It had a tie. It had respectability. 
and it had a word. It had fifty shades of grey, which sounded very. It didn't sound like anything. It sounded pretty grey. Fifty shades of grey, and somehow that book was grabbed by people, and it was really mediocre. And that kind of also, also tells me that the the majority of people are looking for mediocre, <laughs> which is mm. very very depressing. That the majority of people don't want their minds to be stimulated, stimulated, expanded. They want it to be the kind of like soap opera kind of very easy plot, nothing confusing, ex- everything being completely unthreatening, everything being completely yawn. Even the sex in that book is so boring. I mean, it's not even, it's not even good. It's not even like great. So I, I, and then I went and I, I hired the movie. I thought, let me see, maybe the movie's better. Well, the movie was even worse. I don't know if you watched that movie. I, I did. Did you finish the movie? Oh gosh. I, I forward wound it. I hated the actors, especially the man. He was so wooden, but then the whole book was wooden. So the thing was, I started thinking, that people, on the whole, don't really have the greatest of taste. So c- kind of when you are providing material for the masses, perhaps the mediocre is what the masses want, which is actually a very depressing idea. You, you, you've actually just made me think about, about, about that whole thing. About of, the of mediocrity. Not, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I mean, look at the content that, that is forever trending on TV. Yeah. yeah. The kind of programs that we're watching that have high ratings. Yes. And you think to yourself, I mean, are we, have we become such a nation where we're watching such gibberish and the, the, as I said, the ratings are just in their millions. Mm. But then when you look at great content like your entrepreneurial shows, I'm not going to mention some of the shows, but shows that um, help people with their business ideas and they they match them up with investors and um, mm. what they call angel investors as well mm. or investments um, in, in, in uh what do you call it? And entrepreneurs as well. You comparing the two, I mean, it's like we, we just wanting to fill our heads with A, A. really. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad that it, it, it also, um, moves over onto, onto the book, um, reading, reading, um, culture that yeah. we find ourselves in, as you, as you called it, mediocrity, which it is actually. Last month you posted on Facebook. <laughs> oh, are you trolling me? Absolutely. I'm, I'm wanting to get you lawsuits, actually. Okay, that, good. That's, that's okay. my, uh, that's I my mission. That's I'm my mission. I'm sure I know what you're Cause I know, do. I know you're wealthy. I know uh, you're I'm so, so wealthy. I'm trying, I'm trying yes. to shed some of your, you my know, wealth. some of, some of your wealth. Absolutely. So last <laughs> month you posted on Facebook, having written a few cover stories Ooh. over the years on Bonang, I really wish she had asked me to write her story, end quote. Some people felt you were discrediting or disrespecting Tabiso, her publisher. What mm. are your thoughts? Wow, that, that post got me into a lot of trouble. And I need to um, sort of contextualize what happened. I, uh, my imprint, MF Books Joburg, is in the same imprint as Tabiso's imprint, Blackbird, yes. in Jakarta. Yes. I woke up to this a stream of WhatsApps with the screen grabs of all those lines around the editing that had been posted on Twitter. 
And I had a whole lot of people asking me, did you write the book? Did you publish this book? Oh, my word, what's happened? Because they saw Jakana and they immediately assumed and they knew that I had had a kind of a relationship with Bonang over the years at True Love. I'd written some really cool stories with her um, and people assumed I'd written the book and I went mad. I felt like my reputation was being tarnished. I mean, this was, it was all reactive and I have to own that. There was a lot of stuff going on that day. It was like the world broke loose on Twitter. And the more people were asking me, did you do it? Did you do this? I was getting Facebook messages. I was getting phone calls. I thought I need to set the record straight. So without thinking of anyone else but me, honestly, I did. I went and I wrote. What did I say exactly there? Just read it again. You, you, you said, um, <laughs> Just read it again. Having, having, having written a few cop, uh, cover stories over the years on Banang, I really wish she had asked me to write her story. Yeah. And I really wished that she had because I felt, and I will say this, and I, um, I, 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 I won't lie about something that I feel very strongly about. I don't think that book was written really well. I really, really don't. I think that the book needed to be written in a better way. I've read it. I've seen it. I just don't think the product was good. And I will, and I've told to be so that, and it's got nothing to, you know, it's, it's my opinion. And I don't think, honestly, I don't think many people will jump up and down and say, Hey, this is a brilliantly written book because it's not, or it wasn't. I haven't read the new version. I hope. That it's been improved. Um, I really felt that I understand Bonang and I would have been able to have done an in-depth book that, that shed light on other areas of her life that wasn't just what, what seemed like a transcription of an interview. And that's how I felt that the book was written. I'm a writer. I'm very, very strict about quality. Um, I'm a writing publisher. Content is my strongest angle. So I take every book that I publish and if it's not good enough, I rewrite it. That's what I do. Or I work with the author and I rewrite. I just felt that that book was hasty and it didn't have the thought and care in it that I thought actually warranted the brand Bonang. I thought, I think Bonang has had, um, she is an incredibly successful woman. She's got brand Bonang really tapped. She's had quite an interesting life in the media. She's had relationships. She's had rumors. She's had scandals. She's got all the makings for a bestseller. And I just felt that the book could have been written with a more in-depth approach. And so, yep, that's my honest opinion. Okay. And we don't have to love, you know, and, and, and I've spoken to Tabisa. I've apologized that if I hurt her and, 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 and I really think that if I had thought about it maybe a little bit more deeply, I should not have posted that on Facebook on that day. But I was so wanting people to know that I hadn't written it, that that was my motive. Okay. The first book you ever read. I want to ask you something. Can I turn this around? Because you just put me in the hot seat. <laughs> Do you agree with me? 
Or what do you feel? I, I, I haven't read the book. And, oh, that's um, so easy, I, Sonia. No, I haven't, I haven't read the book. And, um, <coughs> I think it's only fair for me to first of all go and buy the book. Mm. And second of all, to read the book from beginning to end yeah. in order for me to, to make an assessment. Because I, I can't say it was a badly written book when I haven't read it. That's that's where I stand with mm. it. And remember, this is my opinion booth. Yes, so not, I, not, I'm not allowed to not ask yours. you. I'm, 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 asking, <laughs> I'm, asking, I'm asking you the question. This yeah, is you already my, put this me is in my the hot studio. Seat. This yes. is my studio. Okay, I'll behave myself. Don't, don't touch me in my studio. I don't touch you studio. on your studio. <laughs> on your studio, baby. Exactly. Remember, on your studio. Exactly. <laughs> so now tell me, what, what's the first book you ever read? Oh, the first book I ever read. Oh, man, listen, I started reading when I was like four and a half. I, ta- I taught myself to read, which was quite amazing. Impressive. And it was Noddy. It was a little red book, Noddy by Enid Blyton. And it was one of my sister's books. And I remember sitting, we were in the game reserve. We went on a holiday and there was this book sitting there. And I was fascinated what people did when they were holding these things. What were they doing? I remember my little brain was f- intrigued by that. And I started sitting there and putting... And I started making sense of letters. All I never knew was the magic E. So I would say name instead of name <laughs> or game instead of game. But I got the alphabet. And I started teaching. So that was Noddy. Noddy, I don't know. I think it was Noddy in Toyland. But you know, as a four and a half year old. Yeah. Love that. A book you recommend every teenage girl and boy to read. You know, I'm not trying to self-promote here, but I think Smacked, the book that I wrote, I mean, I don't think you're specifically asking if it's my books that I wrote, but I think that for every teenage boy and girl who are inevitably going to be faced with drugs and alcohol and who are inevitably going to feel peer pressure, going to be faced with decisions around that area in their life, my book Smacked would really wake them up to seeing the really dark side of a wrong decision. Um, and I think it would be very educational. Some books have, some schools have made it into like set work. Uh, some of the private schools have it as a set work book. Fantastic. I wish government would listen and put it into every school because it really is one of those books um, that, that, that I think could actually change people's perspectives, especially at a young age, like when you're 14, 15 years old. Is there a future in audiobooks? I ask because it is easier and cheaper to duplicate and share than a physical book. The reason a lot of artists are feeling the effects of piracy because people share music using USB sticks and CD, DVD writers, etc. Mm. I think there's definitely a future in, 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 there's an app called Audible. I've got it. Um, you know, time is difficult when you don't have time to sit down and read a book. So driving in the car, um, loading your USB into the, into the system, whatever you're driving, walking around with your headphones, your book on your phone, um, listening while you're waiting in traffic, uh, on the bus, on the taxi, on wherever, commuting, when you're bored in a queue. I think it's, it's probably the future actually. So I haven't got any of my books um, made into audiobooks, but I'm definitely going to, in 2018, start organizing some of them into – and I like the idea of the author reading their own book. 
So that's the future. Yeah. Well, you know, when you say it's the future, does it mean print books are not going to sell anymore? No, they're still going to sell. Um, people love holding books. Are digital books going to take over print books? No. They, it's just a different audience. Everyone thought when Kindle books came, no, the, 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 the print book would die. But no, it hasn't happened. So I think there'll be those people who read print books. There'll be those who read them on the iPads and then there'll be those who listen to books. Your opinion on Reddy Clubby's Twitter account being hacked and some people believing it is a publicity stunt to boost sales for her up, um, upcoming book on Zuma Repa Kusa Kwesi. On the other hand, someone t- uh, commenting, this is the beginning of censorship. Journalists be worried. Um, you know, I'm not that au fait with the whole story, I have to say. I have got her on WhatsApp and I did get a message from her saying my account's been hacked. Um, and I thought, shame. So I thought, I still think shame. I don't think it's some publicity stunt. I mean, I know Reedy. I, I really don't think she would stoop to that level. I don't think she has to. She doesn't need to. She doesn't need to have some weird publicity stunt. The book's going to sell. It looks like I haven't read it yet. I am going to read it. It looks like it's a brilliant book. So, and I'm not quite sure. I don't really understand the idea that it's the beginning of, of media, of censorship. What do they mean by that? Well, that, um, you know, any author or journalist out there who's going to be writing something that offends oh, someone. Oh, so that, that the they have power. hacked that, that for that yeah, reason. That, that, that's what Yeah, well, that's pretty worrying. Yeah. I don't know if that's what's been done. Well, that, that, pe- those are people's yeah, comments. Opinion. So it's, it'll be interesting to yeah. see what exactly happens there. Your opinion on South Africa having more bottle stores than bookstores? It's a, I mean, I, I was about to say it's a crime. It's not really a crime because alcohol is a legal drug. And I'd like to really make that clear that I say alcohol is a legal drug. And for me, it's the most harmful drug above heroin, above crack, above meth, above dacha, above all sorts of other drugs. Alcohol for me sits on top. And it's not just me. The research shows it, that it is by far the most harmful drug because that's what it is in the world. On, uh, out of all of the others, it causes more car accidents, it causes more health problems, it causes more societal damage, family damage, relationship damage, physical damage. The list is endless. So the fact that we've got more bottle stores than bookshops is showing how crazy this world is. Absolutely. Your opinion on DJ Black Coffee asking Paolo Coelho to write his autobiography? Gee, well, good for him. <laughs> I mean, really, I, 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 if that's if if that's not just a rumor, if that's true, um, why not? Your opinion on J.K. Rowling being the first billionaire author and the first person to fall off of the Forbes billionaire list due to donating so much money to charity? Look, I hate Harry Potter. I almost want to have a a tattoo that says, I hate Harry Potter. (laughs) I don't like Harry Potter. I mean, I know lots of people have and kids have, but I've never really gotten into this little wizard. But, but like the fact, I think it's better than 50 shades of gray. And so if JK Rowling made these billions and billions on this book, yay to her, but I'm really happy that she's giving so much away to charity. I mean, that's what I would do. I mean, what do you need all that money for? Good question. Your memoir trilogy is being turned into a movie. Who plays the lead role? Of me. 
Oh, you know, I've always liked um sort of dark haired girls who are kind of like grungy. So, so who's uh, Christina Ritchie? Do you know her from the Adams Family? Yes, I do. I do. I really like her. I would love her to play me. Okay. I think Christina Ritchie. Well, I mean, Angelina Jolie, maybe. I mean, I've always liked Angelina as well. No, but she, she would be. Brilliant. Yeah, she would be. Is there a book you've read so beautiful and thought provoking you wished you had written and published yourself? Oh, there are many books like that. Um, there are so many that I almost, that I almost can't even think of one right now, but I better because I'm sure we're running out of time. You know, I have to say, maybe it's not a book in the conventional sense, but I love the poet Sylvia Plath. Um, and she, so she's, she wrote, she committed suicide when she was 31. She gassed herself and she left behind the most unbelievable poems. Um, collections of poetry that blew my mind from the age of 12. I still read them. I still love them. You know, they're just the books, the, the, they, that, that book, Ariel, the collection of, of Sylvia Plath, uh, Sylvia Plath collected. They, that's a book that I return to over and over again. It's maybe not beautiful. It's hard. It's, it's depressing sometimes. It's dark. But it's so brilliant that that's the, that's the food for my soul. So you're writing workshops. When is the next one and how much and where? Okay, so my next one in Joburg, the last one of the year, is on November the 4th and 5th. Um, it usually costs 2,500 rand, but I've given an end-of-year discount uh, for two grand for the weekend. So that's the whole of Saturday and Sunday, which is pretty cool. And I give people food for lunch. Um, it's, it's held at my publisher's offices in Auckland Park at Jakarta. And if people want to know more information, I've got about five places left. Um, so if people want to know, they're going to have to email me quickly. So my email address is Melinda Ferguson writer at gmail.com. Fantastic. Melinda, thank you so, so much for spending your time with me. I know you're a busy woman yes. and I appreciate the efforts that you made to be here. I've loved spending my time. Miss Booth. Mrs. Booth. Mrs. Matthew, Booth. Matthew paid Lobola. Oh, he's listening right now and he's thinking, I paid Lobola. You better call her Mrs. We love you, Matthew. We, we love him very much. We do. My humble opinion. After all, this is the opinion booth. And this is quoted by Funza, a literary trust. Improving literacy and growing a culture of reading in South Africa is imperative to build the foundation for an empowered, engaged, and active citizenry. To grab the attention of our largely impoverished and poorly educated youth, South Africa needs homegrown stories of high appeal that are supported by an energized reading community. Aspire to inspire before you expire. This is CliffCentral.com.